I want to talk to you today about challenging the giants. Challenging the giants. The history of giants in the Bible is filled with mystery, if you've ever had a chance to uh, read some of the passages that deal with giants. But they're always identified with evil and that which opposes the purpose of God. Every time you talk about giants in the Bible, they're always identified with evil and that which opposes the purpose of God. If you look in Genesis chapter 6, um, right in your notes, it says, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So this Nephilim, these, these uh, sons of God, as they're talked about, these giants, they, 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 it says they, they had relations with uh, humanity, and out of this, these mighty men were born. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, so giant insight number one in your notes is this. There are no good giants in the Bible. Now, when I was raised up, I was raised to, to think about giants actually as kind of positive, kind of large, benevolent beings who tried to do uh, good in different things. It probably was shaped by a commercial that used to be on television for the Jolly Green Giant. Anybody remember the Jolly Green Giant? Goodness in the valley, valley of the jolly, valley of the jolly, ho, 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 green giant. And uh, I spent a lot of time in front of the television as a little kid. And, um, and, and happy giants and this kind of thing. But when we look at the Bible, there are no good giants in the Bible. Now, there are two classic lessons on facing giants. The first lesson is the story of the 12 spies. And uh, this is found, you remember the story, where the children of, uh, of Israel have left Egypt and been led by God to the land, which is their possession, the land of Canaan. And they send 12 spies in to check out the land for 40 days. And the land is incredibly blessed, but it also has inhabitants who are giants. Sometimes you'll see a little sculpture or a little wooden uh, uh, sculpture of two men carrying a stick between them with a cluster, a giant cluster of grapes between them. And this is this picture of them, the spies, returning, showing that the, that the promise of the promised land was here it was, right here, this fantastic cluster of grapes. Look, look at Numbers 13 here in your notes. It says this. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. He shows them the cluster of grapes. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, the descendants of Anak are uh, related to the Nephilim. That's the, they're, they're part of that, 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 that grouping there. Um, Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So there's all kinds of enemies there, but particularly these giants. Then Caleb quieted the people. So they hear this bad report, and Caleb now quiets the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. 
So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Okay, giant insight number two. Giants always stand in the way of the people of God fulfilling the purpose of God. Okay, so this is just, this is just a reality that you've got to get a hold of. Is that you, every bit of destiny, every bit of mission that you get uh, in your heart as you're sitting under the teaching of the word and as you're encouraging each other in the dorm room and as you're capturing vision in the prayer room and seeing what everything that, that you have inside. Maybe you have a dream of being a missionary. Maybe you have a dream of being a pastor. Maybe you want to touch youth. Maybe you want to be a teacher of the word of God. Whatever your dream is, between you and your dream dwells a giant. There is always a giant between you and what it is that you feel God wants you to do. And this is, this is absolutely critical. Anybody who does anything for God must face giants. That's, it's just there. Okay, giant insight number three we get from this passage. Giants amplify insecurities. You know, there's that interesting line that's in there. It says this, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in theirs. So he, he, he says, he, he says we, when we saw ourselves in front of them, we felt like little bugs in front of them. And, uh, and, and we, were, we were that way in their sight, but you know what? We were that way in our own sight. We saw ourselves. Whatever insecurities you have, when you are going after the thing that God has put in your heart, when you're going after the mission, the purpose, the calling, maybe the calling is simply for you to finish here at Elam, you know, right now. I mean, keeping it right where we're at in this situation. Whatever God has put inside of you, that mission, that call, that purpose, there is a giant between you and the fulfillment of that purpose, and that giant amplifies every insecurity that you have. Anything in you that is afraid, what will people think? What if I fail? Anything in you that feels guilty, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, being at Bible school, I think you really have lots of opportunity to feel guilty. Don't you think so? Uh, you know, you get all excited and say, oh, I'm going to pray in the morning and, you know, and you get up a few mornings and, you know, with a lot of energy and things like that. And then you kind of die out and uh, you kind of get that feeling like, oh, man, I'm just such a I'm such a failure, you know, or maybe you try to read your Bible through in a year. I've just restarted my my reading the Bible through in a year and and uh you know, Genesis is pretty good. I really like Genesis. It's like I really get a good head of steam up there. And, and I really like Exodus, too, at the beginning. The Exodus is really good. And then you roll into tabernacle construction. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? 
and it's so many, you know, gold rings and, you know, st gold sticks and this thing and, you know, gopher wood and all this stuff. And, 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 and you know, you're, you really start slowing down there in the end of Exodus and then you, you bang right into Leviticus, right? Nothing like sacrificial, you know, first five chapters, you know, and then a lot of us never get any farther than that, right? We get wiped out. So you feel guilty, you know. Anything in you that has low self-esteem, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not strong enough. Anything you that has low self-esteem, your giant will amplify that thing in your mind. And anything in you of doubt, that thing inside of you that says, I'm not sure God will back me up. I, I, I realize there's a chance here, there's an opportunity, but I'm not really sure. If I step out, will God back me up or am I going to be out there by myself? Am I going to be standing in front of a giant filled with all my insecurities with no, with God not with me, right? Anything of doubt, all of that stuff gets magnified. And this is exactly what happens in this story. And the people of Israel shrink back from the challenge. They end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years while the faithless generation dies out except for Joshua and Caleb. They shrink back. Um, in a, in a few months, we'll be having our graduation. It'll be my last graduation as the president of the school. And I will say something at the end of the graduation that I say to every, um, to every group. And I ask them to all stand up and to say out loud, I will not shrink back. I will not shrink back. Because this is, what I'm talking about to you right now is just so basic. It's so, so basic in this battle that we're involved in. Okay, so eventually Joshua leads them into the promised land. We know that story. But the giants don't stop. Jo Joshua 11.21, look what it says. It says, and then Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim, right? So the Anakim are the, the giants again. From the hill country, from Hebron, from Deber, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah and all the hill country of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. There were no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel, only in Gaza and Gath. We, we end up meeting another one of these giants from Gath a little bit, little bit later in the story. And in Ashad, some remained. And so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. So we've talked about this question before. Why does God make us fight for our promises? And Judges chapter 3 gives us a little insight into this. But the simple reality is this. There is something that develops in us when we fight for our promises that doesn't get there any other way. Once you have it, it cannot be taken away. And so what am I talking about? So God says to us, he says, okay, here you are. Here, here's where you are. Here's where your promise is. Between you and your promise, it's always this way. There is a giant standing there. And this giant paralyzes you this giant makes you feel insecure this giant is 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 standing there and he says to us you have if you want the future that i have for you 
You have got to fight this giant. There's no, you, you think to yourself, well, could I just hide for a little while? Maybe the giant will go away and then I'll run into my future, you know. Maybe, is there, he says, no. He says there is. And the reason is that the very battle with the giant does something in you that is necessary for you to fulfill your destiny in the future. If you don't have that battle, if that thing does not take place, there are things that are worked in you that will not get worked out. Things that will deal with your fear. God's not given me a spirit of fear and something that word will become alive to you. Things that deal with your guilt. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And something will be built up inside of you. Dealing with your your low self-esteem, you know, dealing with your doubt. If God's for me, who can be against me? You know, every, there is something that gets built inside of us. And so we discover, we thought that the giants were there to destroy us, but, but the Lord teaches us that they're actually there to teach us. Or another way to say it, giants are target practice. Right? The giants that are in your life, that are ahead of you, are target practice. You have got to fight against them. You have to battle against those giants or you cannot fulfill your destiny. I don't care who you are, what your situation is, guests or people here regularly. There is between you and the purpose of God something that has to be defeated for you to fulfill your purpose. Okay. So going on in our notes, the second classic lesson on facing giants is the story of David and Goliath. These are not new ideas. David comes to visit his brothers who are uh, uh, soldiers in Saul's army. He finds the army stopped in its progress by a challenge that no one is willing to take. A giant is mocking God and his people for 40 days, morning and evening, he gives this challenge. Let's see what he says. This is, this is the challenge from Goliath. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out and draw up in battle array? Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And I'm telling you, that giant is there in front of anything that you have in your heart to do for God. He's mocking you. He's saying those exact kind of things. So David goes to confront the giant. And he has some things that he says. Let's look at his words. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in heaven. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." 
And then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. I love this line. That David ran quickly, quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. So here's this, here's this giant. And David says, you know, we're, you know I, I'm going to come against it. And, and, and the giant says, okay, you little. And he starts running toward him. And David doesn't go, you know, let me hide behind this rock. You know, I'll get on the other side and kind of, you know, like this while the giant. David runs at the giant. And he risks everything on a moment that he's going to swing this, this stone. And the stone is going to fly out and hit this giant. I mean, what happens to David if the stone misses Right? They're running you know, at each other. David, you know what? Goes by the, you know. I'll tell you what happens. That's why he picked up five stones. <laughs> he would have put another one in there and he would have swung again. How about you? You know? If you missed, it would, maybe you would go, you would just lay down and go, all right, I knew I was a loser. I knew I would never be able to accomplish anything. I knew, you know, that I could not be used by God. I knew I had so much guilt and failure and discouragement in my life. I knew it was worthless. Just kill me now. Right? I'm telling you, there is a giant between you and what you want to be and do in God. Giant insight number four in your notes. Giants mock us and accuse us. Now, you may be looking at your life right now, and you may be wondering, how do I know? How do you know when you're facing a giant-sized problem? Okay, here are some things that we see if we're facing a giant-sized problem. Number one, it paralyzes you. When you're facing a giant-sized problem, when a giant-sized problem comes your way, it paralyzes you. It's like a, if you've ever had a massive homework assignment, you know, that you, you just looked and it was like you couldn't do anything. You know, you just, you, you know, you couldn't just start, you know, just to begin. You know, begun is half done, something I had to tell myself a thousand times. Just start, right? But it paralyzes you. Second thing we see is it's not a fair fight. That is... A young man going against a giant, a skilled, experienced warrior going against a shepherd, it's never a fair fight. You always feel like what's happening is not fair. This should be coming together this way or that should be coming together. This is not fair that I'm having to face this kind of battle. It's not a fair fight. And the third thing we see is it mocks you Every day, you lay your, your head down at night and your brain is filled with it. You get up in the morning and it's there with you again. It mocks you every day. You can't do it. You can't make it. It won't happen. It, won't. it just mocks you every day. When you're seeing that kind of stuff, you're facing a giant-sized problem. The doctor says cancer and you feel paralyzed and it's not a fair fight. And it mocks you every day. You're, you're, you, you, you get a credit card and you think you're going to use it judiciously. And instead you go out and you run up a, a big bill and, and, and you can't pay it back. And the interest is so great and it's just constantly building. It's just not a fair fight. It's against you. Your parents decide to get a divorce while you're away at school. It's like a giant-sized problem. 
And you feel like there's something I should be able to say. There's something I should be able to do. There's some, some intervention that's needed. The boyfriend tells you he wants it over with. But the problem is you've compromised yourself because you thought that relationship was going to be the relationship. And you've compromised yourself. And now you have to live with that. The summer job you were counting on falls through. How are you going to pay for school? What's going to happen? Giant size problem. It paralyzes you. It's not a fair fight. And it mocks you every day. Giant insight number five. Giants must always be defeated by warfare. To get your promise, you must defeat enemies. You are already, who are already possessing the land. They're already in the ground that you're supposed to be taken. That's the way God is. He's just so, he, doesn't just, he, doesn't, he doesn't give us ground we already possess. He, there's ground that somebody else, something else possesses that he says, I want you to go in and take that ground away from that one. Away from those giants who are holding it. Okay, so in your notes, there are three keys to fighting giants revealed in these passages. Let me give them to you. So if any of you, and are any of you as you're listening to me, you're kind of going, I can see a giant in my life. Do you have a giant, something that's standing between you? And Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the key now how you break through, okay, what you have to do. <clears throat> three keys to fighting giants. Number one, you have to believe the promise belongs to you by divine right. This is, what, this is what Caleb says. We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for, for we will surely overcome it. You have to believe the promise belongs to you by divine right. <clears throat> it, would, it would be like, if you thought of it like possession of land, right? Here's this land that somebody has moved into and taken over, but the reality is I inherited that land. That land belongs to me. Now, when I go, <clears throat> go to that place, when I talk to the authorities, when I interact with anybody, I come in and I say, <clears throat> hey, look here, I inherited, I have the title to this land. Somebody else is on this land. This is mine. I own this land. It's, this is not right. Everybody should be working with me to get this cleared out of here because this land belongs to me. See? The person who does that, they, they, real, they, they have the right, they feel deep inside of themselves, I have the right to this. This belongs to me. It's my inheritance. So, something wrong is happening here. Something's being taken away from me that is rightfully mine. There should be something stirred up inside of you when you look at that ground God has given you, knowing it's your inheritance, but somebody, so, so, you know, God says to you, I want to use you as a youth pastor sometime in the future. And here you are where you are. And between you and that is a giant. And there should be something inside of you. It sounds, <clears throat> it, it can easily sound arrogant. It can easily sound demanding. But there should be something inside of you that says, you know what? This is mine. This is mine by divine right. God spoke it to me. You, you have no right to stand between me and this thing that God has put inside of my heart. You have to believe that the promise belongs to you by divine right. 
the giant says, he's the rightful owner. You're standing there going, no, that belongs to me. He says, no, it belongs to me. I'm the owner. Or the giant says, you know, you used to be the owner, but when you failed, you, 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 you gave up ownership. When you, when you messed up and you fell in this certain way, you gave up ownership at that time. It doesn't belong to you anymore. That's what the giant tells you. Or the giant, maybe he says to you, you misunderstood God. He wants you to share it with me. You can have some of it and I'll have some of it. See, this is, this, is the, this is the giant standing between you. You have to believe the promise belongs to you divine, by divine right. That's where you got to get into the word, and you got to speak the word. In some cases, you need to memorize some scriptures. You need to get a hold of something so that you, you've seen it happen. I know you have, even since you've been here at school, where, you know, maybe you had a fear in your life, and then now you go, for I do not have a spirit of fear. There's, there, there's something has come into you where before fear used to slap you around and dominate you but something has come into you where you take your you've taken a stand and you know by divine right fear is not a part of my life you 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 feel that thing or maybe it was about guilt you know I mean it was for me there is therefore now no condemnation, not a little condemnation. There is no condemnation. But what I failed ten times, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? And there's something inside of you that you realize the promise has become alive to you and real to you. And it's greater than all of your failure. It's greater than all of the negative things that would come against you. You, you believe it, Right? The promise belongs to you by divine right. Okay, number two. You have to believe that God will empower you to get it. The battle is the Lord's, he says, and he will give you into our hands. The battle is the Lord. God will, I'm not in this thing alone. See, the enemy will try to do everything he can to make you feel that you're in this thing alone, that God is not with you in it. You know, he was with you in it, but then you failed. You know, you, you messed up. You committed a sin. Now God's not with you in it anymore, and you're out there by yourself, you know. You're never going to run. Listen, you are never going to do what David did. When the giant runs at David, and then David runs at the giant, you are never going to do that unless you, down in your gut, deeply believe God is with me in this fight. If you look at yourself and you kind of say, say well, you know, God's not really with me. I've, I've messed up too many times. I, I just am not good enough. I, I'm not the right stuff. You know, these other people, I look at them, I don't know how they do what they do. They, I'm not the right stuff. God... You know, God's not really with me. How can you possibly have the courage to run at your giant if you're looking at yourself and you're saying, I can't, I, I don't have it. I don't, I, 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 I've got too much weakness. Listen, the circumstances will tell you it can't be done. Your friends will tell you it can't be done. Your history of past failures will tell you it can't be done. But God is for you. God is for you. He, he sent his son to die on the cross so that your sin would never become a barrier to his purposes and to his calling and to his destiny. He, he's, made a con, he's made a supply. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. 
Think of it like, a, like sin, like you take your little shovel and you dug a little hole here, like, like when you were a little kid digging in the sand. There's your sin. You did. He puts a mountain of grace on top of that little hole. Nobody can see your little hole anymore. He's with you in all your weaknesses, the foolish things, the base things, the despised things, the things that are not. He has chosen that he might nullify the things that are. And then number three, the third thing you need to do to fight a giant is you must take a step of faith to kill a giant. You've got to do something. You've got to do something. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I don't know what it is you have to do, you know. For me, many times when I was fighting giants of assignments, it, it was to do something. I had to do something. I had to go, go just get the book. I, you know, I, had, I couldn't read it yet or anything, but I would just go get the book. I had to read a little section of the book. And, and if that's all I could do, that's all I could I would read a little section. But I had to do something. And there was something about the act of me going for it. It, of me stepping out, of me moving in that kind of way that caused things to come together. And, and bam, things begin to open up. Okay, looking in your notes. What this warfare looks life, like in your life, okay? So here's your life. Here's, here's what it looks like. It starts out like this. God gives you a promise, I'm, the promise I'm taking is Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Maybe some of you, you look at your life and your family has been bound by poverty for years. And, and uh, you, you've been held back in many different ways. And here this promise comes to you. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But this promise is opposed by a giant called Lack. That's his name. Put the giant's name down. Lack. And this is what Lack says. Lack says, what makes you so special that you should be blessed? That's what Lack comes to. You know, you say, you say God has promised he's going to supply all my needs according to his risen glory. And Lack looks at you. He's the giant that stands in front of you. He says, you, you, what are you, arrogant or something? What makes you think God is with you? What is there about you? That's what Lack says. What makes you think you're so special? Lack says, look at your past. You have never prospered much. Lack is standing in front of you. Lack says, you tried to improve your situation before and you failed. Remember you tried to get that little business idea going? Remember you tried to get that job and it thing, if things fell apart? You've tried to make things better in the past. You said you were going to save a certain amount, but you never did. You have failed. Lack says, listen to your friends. Don't you understand the risk you're taking? You can't do this. You're taking a risk. Who knows what will happen? People will tell you all the time, don't take risks. Okay, so what, what do we say you have to do? Number one, you must believe the promise is yours. You must believe that God will empower you to get it. And you must take a step of faith. I, you know, many of you have been associated and had some kind of contact with the basic college ministry. Basic College Ministry was founded 40 years ago when I went up to Oswego, New York. Now look, when I went up to Oswego, New York, I, was, I think I was like 22 years old. 
I was graduated from Elam, and I went up to Oswego, and God had put it in my heart to do something to reach college students. I walked onto the Oswego State College campus. Who the heck was I? I was nobody. And I started reaching out. The church I went to to work with had, I, I remember the first evening service I, I went to, had six people in it. And I'm going to ch- take over the campus with six people? Right? And, uh, and most of those were the pastor's family. And so, so what am I saying to you? I'm saying you, 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 you go into these situations, and if I looked at circumstances, I would have said there is no way. Nothing can happen here. There's, who am I? I mean, it's not like I have a, a doctorate degree or something that people would listen to me on a college campus, a university campus, a Swigo State College. Who am I? I'm nobody. But the Lord, God put it in my heart to go up there and just to begin patiently reaching out to students, and, and things began to happen. People started coming. Things began to be drawn together. And, and something was birthed that 40 years later is still impacting young adults. Lax says, you made too many mistakes, and you won't be able. Lax says, you should not have tried. What made you even try to do something like this? Lax says something is going to go wrong and you'll end up in financial trouble. That's what Lax says. Now, I put a little declaration, a little giant proclamation in your notes. So let's look at that. So you can fill this out. If, you've got, if you think you have a giant right now in your life, you can fill this out. It says, I believe that God's promise to me is true. Then write out what you think the promise is. What do you think God's promise to you is? Maybe, it's, maybe you're dealing with condemnation. Maybe you're dealing with, what, what is the promise that God has given you? Maybe you're concerned about lack. Maybe you're concerned about uh, financial provision. Maybe you're concerned about uh, people that you love. What is the promise God has given you? He said to you, you know what, this is going to work out. This is going to come together. This is what I say to you. So write out what your promise is. All right? Then, then it says, on that is my rightful possession. That promise, you know, when I went to Oswego, it was to reach college students. That was the promise God had given me, that somehow God was going to cause a Pentecost to happen on college campuses, and that literally the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on university campuses and with, with worship and speaking in other tongues and, and the Word of God and all these kinds of things, to reach students. That's what the Lord spoke to me, Okay. And, and, and so that, it is my rightful possession. It's my possession. I believe that the battle is the Lord's, that he will place this promise in my hands. As a, as a step of faith, I will, and then write out the action that you need to take. For me, I went to Oswego, New York, got a job selling clothes uh, there, and, and went up on campus and started reaching out. And then within a couple of months, the Lord spoke to me, give up your secular job and just go full-time reaching students. I said, I have no money. How is this possible? And, and, but the Lord said, go ahead and do it. I went ahead and did that, turned in my two weeks' notice. On the last day of my two weeks' notice, I came to the mail. Nobody knew what I had done in terms of outside of a swiegel. I came to the mail and got a letter from a teacher uh, in my high school that said she felt the Lord had spoken to her that she was to begin to support me in my ministry up in Oswego. She didn't even know what I was doing. 
She said, I'll send you $50 a month from then on. She sent me $50 a month for over 30 years. Come on, somebody say amen. It's my righteous possession. I believe that the battle is the Lord's and that he will place this promise in my hands. As a step of faith, I will. And then what's your action? What's your thing you're going to do? I'm going to quit my job and, and, and go after reaching out. Today, I strike down the giant of, and then give your giant a name. What is this giant that is in front of you? Give him a name. I gave you the name of lack for, for one giant. And um, so, so, so strike down the giant, give your giant the, a name, lack in the name of the Lord our God, thank you for the victory. Now here are some other giants that I, in your notes I, I think I put in there. Lack is a giant. Um, sickness is a giant. I'm giving you a promise for each of these giants. Some of you sickness, right? Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Addictions. Okay, is another giant. Addictions. For I am confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Marital conflict. Again, a promise about marriage. Fallen child. Train up a child in the way she goes. a promise there. Unfulfilled desires. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospels, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Unfulfilled desires. Okay, so these are all different giants I've named there, just trying to give you a promise and a giant, right? But you need to do this same thing for your situation, and you need to take your stand in this thing. Okay, so if you've been listening to me today, and you, you, you just feel like, whoa, it's like this guy is like reading my mail today, and you feel there's a giant that definitely is mocking you every day, is paralyzing you, is standing in front of you, is keeping you from fulfilling your destiny, I want you just to stand to your feet right now. And I'm just going to pray a prayer. We're just going to stand together against these giants right now in our different situations and circumstances. Hallelujah. Lord, we lift both your hands up in the air. Lord, we humbly stand before you right now. And we acknowledge that in us is no good thing. In us is no power, no ability, nothing that could accomplish anything. But Lord, we believe you have given us a promise. You have given us an inheritance. You have given us a call. You have given us a purpose. And there is standing, mocking us every day in front of us, a giant resisting the purpose of God in our lives. Resisting the call and the destiny and all that God has for us. And Lord, right now, we just come before you and we set our hearts. We say, we, we believe, Lord, that you are with us. We believe that you've empowered us. We believe that our destiny is on the other side of this giant. And if we have to die trying, we're going to throw ourselves against this giant. We're going to throw ourselves into this battle. We're going to take steps of action and believe you for powerful deliverances that you can tear down that giant the same way you did for Joshua, the same way you did for David, that these evil giants cannot hold us back from our purposes. 
We thank you for it, Lord. We trust you now. Empower us, Lord. Give us that confidence in your promises. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.